Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to Central. Uh, my name is Tim. Uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here and so honored that you decided to join us. Yeah. Uh, welcome to week three of this series we are in that we are calling Hashtag Struggles. Uh, today, we are wrestling with this idea of contentment. Uh, the Bible actually says that contentment is possible. Good news, it's possible. Uh, the struggle is how do we take hold of a contented life. Uh, next week, I'm excited for, for weeks four and five of this series. We're actually going to be looking at authenticity and rest, uh, things that we desperately need and things I desperately struggle with. Uh, so I'm excited for those uh, weeks as well. I want to invite you back to check that out uh, too. Hey, before we go much further though, I want to give a quick shout out to those of you joining us online. Thanks for being with us. Let's let them know we're glad that they're, they're a part of this. It's so, uh, so exciting to see how technology is really shrinking our world. Literally, people from all over the globe uh, get to join in on this experience thanks to technology. Uh, I heard from some folks that actually have moved to Texas. They were part of the Central family, have moved there. And, uh, and they're like, hey, it's funny. You're talking about technology, and we're watching you online while you talk about technology. It's so, so cool. But uh, definitely... The, the world has changed. We are currently navigating the largest communication shift in over 500 years. I think uh, since the printing press, we have not seen something so uh, a cosmic shift in communication like we are currently experiencing right here, right now. And I, I personally love technology. Uh, I went to uh, Mount Hermon for the first time. I don't know if you've ever been to Mount Hermon. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. But went with some of our ambassadors to a hymn sing, uh, sing some hymns. We got a picture I want to show you here. Uh, it's awesome. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, love our ambassadors. Such a wealth of, of wisdom and experience and knowledge and a wealth of jokes. They just keep jokes coming one after another. And the guy on uh, your left, uh, Paul Schneider, he kept having these jokes. And I'm like, where are you getting all these jokes? He's like, he's like, he's like well, Jenny would be the second thing he would have said. But he actually said from Siri. He's like, you know, you can do this. Hey, Siri, tell me a joke. As mushroom as possible. Ah. So, so Paul had all these one-liners, all these jokes, thanks to Siri. Uh, my favorite that he told was, uh, how did King, who, who, which knight of King Arthur's built the round table? Circumference. Ah. Ah. Take that to work with you tomorrow. You'll be blessed if you do. You know, I asked Alexa this week to tell me some jokes when it comes to technology. And she says, where does the rhombus post its selfies? On the parallelogram. All right. Let's try this one. All right. Knock, knock. Yeah. Yahoo. Well, I'm glad you're happy to see me too. Ah, ah. All right. Super cheesy. But, but let's think about this for a moment. So I'm in the office before anyone else gets here. It's about 7 a.m. And I'm, I'm working on this content, writing my manuscript. And I'm talking to this automated lady, asking her to tell me jokes when no one else is in the room. I'm typing this out. I almost feel like I have to call Tiffany and apologize. Like, this chick's telling me jokes at 7 a.m. And I just feel wrong about this for a moment. And I just want you to know, like, I, you're still my boo, still my bae, my number one. But Alexa, she keeps the cheesy jokes coming. 
But I love technology, and uh, I love social media, and uh, if you're on social media, I would love to connect with you on that platform. This is not a knock on social media. Uh, Nevertheless, we cannot ignore the fact that we are more connected than ever before, and our society at large feels more isolated and alone than in the history of mankind. There's a study that was done by University of Pennsylvania and uh, Forbes, uh, Harvard Medical, um, uh, Psychology Today, some prominent uh, leaders in this area have referenced this study that was done by University of Pennsylvania. And the study was basically, uh, hey, for us, the students, this section of students, you're going to take a screenshot of your battery usage at the end of the day and let us know how much you are on social media. And for this group over here, what we're going to ask you to do is to limit your social media usage to 30 minutes a day. And take a screenshot of your social media usage to, to confirm that you are actually only using it for 30 minutes a day. So, so you get 10 minutes for Snapchat, 10 minutes for Instagram, 10 minutes for Facebook. And, and here's what they found as a result of this. Um, they, they basically found that the group that limited their social media usage had lower levels of anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Uh, lower tendencies of FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. And so just just limiting our use on social media platforms actually lowers our, our, I'll just read it to you. Here's what they said. Uh, This finding is eye-opening in that many studies have shown the correlation between uh, social media use and the negative mental health symptoms, including depression, anxiety, loneliness, and even suicide-related outcomes, end quote. That's from Psychology Today. In other words, when social media use went up, our outlook on life went, went down. But when we limited our our use of social media, our contentment, we became more grateful. We we recognize what we have and we're appreciative of what we have rather than looking outside and saying, I wish I had that. I wish I was like that. I wish I looked like them. In Philippians 4, we, we read from this guy named Paul. And if anyone had reason to be discontent, it was this dude. He got in trouble for doing all the right things. Uh, Paul loved the church well, and it bit him time and time again as people within the church would come after Paul. Uh, Paul, man, he, he would try to plant churches, raise them up, and then let them go. And, and, and it just led to a lot of heartache. It led to a lot of sleepless nights. It led to uh, physical beatings. Uh, it landed him in prison. And in Ephesians, or Philippians, rather, he's actually writing this from a, a prison cell. And if, he had, if anyone had reason to be discontent, it was Paul. But here's what Paul Paul says, Philippians 4, 12 through 13, says this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He's like, man, I've I've experienced both, the good times, and I've also experienced some bad times. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or starving, even if I was hungry, whether I was living in plenty or, man, I didn't even have enough. And here's what he is. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Unshakable contentment is available to you today, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of anything else life can throw at you. Unshakable contentment isn't found in something, but unshakable contentment is found in someone, and his name is Jesus. And so even when life throws a curveball, even when life gets lumpy, Jesus never changes. So your contentment can be rock solid because he is so stinking faithful. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. 
My hope is anchored in Christ, and there I find contentment. So my encouragement to you today, for all of us, go all in with Jesus, because he's already gone all in for you. A byproduct of a surrendered life to Jesus is a life of unchanging contentment. And so here's what Paul says. When it comes to contentment, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Therefore, through Christ's strength, we're going to take action in a few key areas so that we too can live with a contented heart. So if you're taking notes, this is where it all, this is where it all begins, right here, baby. All right, so uh, if you take this out, if you want to take some notes with us, the first one is this. So through Christ's strength, here's what we're going to do. Through Christ's strength, we're going to eliminate envy. We're going to eliminate envy. Envy is this. One scholar put it this way. Envy, his definition is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life and ignoring his goodness in my own life. Envy is simply resenting goodness in your life and ignoring God's goodness in my own life. James 3, 14 through 16 says this. uh, But if you harbor, that word harbor, it, it means to hold on to. If you allow this to, to rest within you, if you give safe haven to this, if you, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it, but don't deny it either. Don't deny it. Don't deny the truth. Uh, with such wisdom, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but check this out. This is strong. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. Strong, strong language. So we want to expose envy. We want to expose discontentment in our heart and see what's at the root of this discontentment. And I think discontentment in our lives typically fall into one of three three buckets. Uh, First is material and financial. Uh, Some of us, man, we battle with material and financial envy. And social media, man, we have so many opportunities to, to be envious of those around us. Like, so someone, your buddy buys a new truck. It's awesome. Buys a new car. Happy for you, buddy. But I drive a beat up minivan, bro. And so envy goes up exponentially in my life in that, in that moment. Uh, maybe you're like, they're on another vacation. Like, I'm just, this brother's trying to get a day off, right? They, I'm not counting, but that's five vacations this year alone, right? Like, we're counting, right? We, you see that? We're envious of what, what they have. Uh, for some of us, uh, maybe the ladies in the room, you see people posting all kinds of new outfits and new shoes. You're like, this chick, she's got more shoes than Zappos. Like, what is going on? They got a ton of shoes. Or here in the Bay, I mean, a cardboard box goes for $1.5 million, And then you see family members in other parts of the country where they're buying 5,000 square foot homes for $250,000. And I'm just asking, what does that do to your heart in that moment? (laughs) There's material and financial envy that we we wrestle with. There's also relational envy. Uh, Some of us, man, we see our our friends, maybe the girls are out for, for dinner and they're like, why didn't the girls invite me? You see, this fall is rolling, or the spring rather, rolling around and there's going to be engagement pictures, there's going to be wedding photos, and you're like, when am I going to meet Mr. Right? When am I going to meet Miss Perfect? When's my soulmate coming along, right? And it does something in us. The third bucket is circumstantial. So there's financial envy, there's relational envy, and there's circumstantial envy. And here's what this says. It's like, man, by this point in my life, I thought I would be at this level in my career. 
At this point in my life, I thought I would be at this level of financial security. Maybe you felt like, like this. Uh, check out this, this meme. Uh, by my age, you know, it's like, man, I thought I would be retiring and having a succession plan. It says, man, I'm going to retire someday and then and live off my savings. What I'll do on the second day, I'm not really sure, right? <laughs> my savings isn't where I need it to be to live for much more than one day on my retirement. Oh, man. Or maybe some of you, some of you are navigating this with uh, elderly uh, parents or grandparents. And, and you're like, man, we need to get them into a home, get them some help. And this meme would be true of you. Uh, they wanted to take me to a retirement home. Not anymore, baby. Burn, baby. Burn. <laughs> and your circumstances are like, man, I'm trying to help. But like, it's just not the way I envisioned it. Not the way I wanted it to, to play out. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, um, he said, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond. Circumstantial discontentment is largely in our court. 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how we choose to respond to those circumstances. Nevertheless, envy, resenting God's goodness in someone else's life while ignoring God's goodness in my own life, if that's the case, if that is demonic, unspiritual, and earthly, then, man, we've got to wrestle that to the ground. And, and then it's time for me to start living with a, a more appreciative outlook on life or things that God has entrusted to me rather than being envious of what he's given to you. So we will, through God's strength, eliminate envy. Second fill in the blank you got there is we will eliminate comparison. We will eliminate comparison. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to this church, and what's taking place at this time is uh, these teachers have come in, and, and they're trying to give themselves credibility to this audience. And so uh, what these teachers have done is they've created these different standards. Well, if I do this, then I'm credible. But if I do this, then whoa, like that's above and beyond, right? And so, so they're trying to gain leverage, gain credibility within this church in Corinth. And two, Paul's response to that is this in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. And when they measure themselves by themselves, uh, with themselves, they are not wise. I mean, when we compare ourselves with ourselves to our own certain standards, to the standards of people around us, then man, it's just, we're just not, not living from a wise posture. Paul taught not to compare ourselves to the world around us, but only compare yourself to what God is asking you to do in any given moment. His contentment was anchored in him. Therefore, his comparison was only to God's standards, not to the world's around him. And if we're going to learn the secret of being content in this selfie-centered world, then we must kill comparison. Here's why comparison is so dangerous. Uh, comparison will do one of two things in your life. Comparison will be, bring pride or it'll bring pressure. But neither one of those two things are from God. Comparison will lead us to pride or it'll lead us to pressure. And neither one of those two things are from God. Here's what I mean. Uh, pride. Well, at least I'm not like them, right? Now, I, have, you seen her, have you seen her hair? Did you see her hair today? I mean, at least my hair doesn't look like that, you know? I don't know if you saw his golf swing. My golf swing's nothing to brag about. But did you see him try to hit the ball? Like, wow, right? At least I'm not that bad. Ladies, here's this one. Uh, sure, like, I use a little makeup. But talk about painting the barn, ladies. Like, did you see her? Did you see her? Wow. Easy on the Mac makeup. 
like, sure, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but did you hear that guy botch his presentation? Like, there goes his bonus, right? And comparison will bring pride, or it could bring pressure. Pressure being, uh, if only. If only I had their network, then I'd be the VP too. If only my, I love my kids, but unless my kids are on the honor roll, captain of the varsity team, get a 36 on the ACT, working a part-time job, serving in youth ministry with five full-ride scholarships on the table, then I have failed them as a parent, right? We feel the pressure. The pressure is real. I need my hair to look like that. I need my golf swing to look like this. And our list goes on and on and on. In comparison, we'll do one of two things. It'll produce pride or it'll produce pressure, but neither one of those two things are from God. Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. You need a little joy in your life? Watch comparison. Guard against comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's true. When we compare, we start to despair. It doesn't go anywhere healthy. When you compare to others, a couple of things happen. Uh, We focus on their blessing and not their burden. So when I compare, I'm like, hey, Man, Ron, I like what you got in your box, bro. That's awesome. Chris, man, I see Chris's job, and I'm like, I wish I had a job like that. I wish I could go to the office tomorrow and have that experience. And so I focus on Chris's blessing, but I ignore his burden, right? I don't realize that, that man, to have that level, to own your own business, to, to run a tight ship, man, there's a, there's a heavy weight to that. That's awesome they got the great job, but what you don't see is the burden that they carry. With great jobs comes great expectations, great pressure to produce. But we, pro- we focus on what they got, on their blessing, not on, not on their, their burden. For some of us, man, we, we, we see people and we're like, they're married. Like, that dude found his queen, right? He found his queen. I'm so happy for him, but not really. I'm a little... Jealous that I haven't found my queen. Right, girl? Hey. Uh, But let me just say, marriage is awesome. But there's good days. There's bad days. There's a wait. Some of us are like, man, I I can't wait to to have kids. And then here's what's going to happen. You you focus on the blessing. They're going to be rock stars. And it's awesome. We like what's in their box. But let me just say, there's a wait to that reality. There's a burden to trying to raise kids this day and age. You don't have the freedom that you, you once have. But, but, but when we compare, we often focus on the blessings of their box and we ignore the burdens that are in their, in their box. Some of us were like, man, if I just had some more financial blessing in my life. Listen, with more, the great philosopher said, more money, more problems. I don't know if you've heard of that before. More money, more problems. But like there's more responsibility. There's more stewardship. There's more money. There's more There's a burden to that. There's a weight. Alfred Nobel said contentment is the only real wealth. Contentment, a settled heart, peace with who you are, your identity anchored in him. Contentment is the only real wealth. The flip side of that is whenever we look in our box, we focus on the burden that we carry and not the blessing that we have. Some of you parents, come on. You're like, if I step on one more Lego, all toys are going in the trash, right? I stand at the door of my kid's room sometimes. I'm like, World War II took place in here. There's all kinds of soldiers. There's all kinds of guns everywhere. Like there's socks on the floor. It smells like a locker room. I'm like, what's going on? I focus on the burden. But there's going to come a day 
when I walk by that door and I'm going to say, I wish I could step on a Lego. I wish there were some dirty clothes on the ground. I, wi- I, wish, I wish there was a little racket around here and I was struggling to find some peace and quiet because it'd mean my kids are home. There's coming a, some of you are on the back side of that. You could testify to that reality. Some of us, man, we... Come on, fellas. You, we, you got the queen, right? You got the queen. It's awesome. And, and I remember whenever we were, first, we were first married, we had this little apartment. And we, it was tiny. It was a Cracker Jack box. First home, I, bathroom. I think I'm going to get some real estate in that puppy. Come on, fellas. And 95% of it, makeup, hair products, hot gadgets. I don't even know what they do. I'm just happy to have a cup with my toothbrush and a razor in it. You know what I'm saying? We, I focus on the burden, but holy cow, we're still together. She's still my queen, right? She's still my boo. She's still my bae. I love her with all my heart. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But sometimes we focus on the burden of what's in our box and not the blessing of what God has put into our, put into our box. And so two things happen. When we, when we compare ourselves, we look, I look inside your box, I say, man, that's so awesome. But I don't, I don't realize the burden that's accompanied with it. When I look inside my box, I say, man, there's nothing but burdens. But reality is there, it's, full of, it's full of blessings. When we compare, man, it, we, we begin to despair. And comparison, as Theodore Roosevelt said, it's the, it's the thief of all joy. Don't allow the thief to steal your joy this week. Don't allow comparison to sneak in. Sometimes it's good for us to take a step back and stop fixating on the burden. And let's be a people who just marvel at the blessing. Therefore, we will eliminate, we will kill comparison in our life. Third and final point is this. We will generate gratitude. We will generate gratitude. Proverbs 15, 15 says this. uh, For the despondent, every day brings trouble. Every day. Every day is trouble. But for the happy heart, it's a continual feast. The happy heart, it's a continual feast with a heart of gratitude. Say, man, God, you've given me so much. I'm so thankful you've blessed me. You've blessed my socks off. You bless me when I go out. You bless me when I come in. God, you're for me. And it's a continual feast. It's like a buffet. I don't know if we've got any buffet fans here. Some people think buffets are gross. I think they're awesome. There's like... Bring it on, baby. Continual feast. I'm going back for fists. It's awesome. And two desserts. Can't beat it. Ecclesiastes, that's how I maintain this this frame. Ecclesiastes 6, 9. Enjoy what you have rather than despairing over what you don't have. Focus on the good things God's put in your box. Don't let the thief steal your joy. Count your blessings and your blessings will begin to count. God's blessed you. Count your blessings so that your blessings begin to count. I've been chewing on this passage in Luke 17 this week, and it's a story of these lepers, these guys that have this skin disease. And here's what it says in Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. It says, As Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. He entered the village there, and there were 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And here's what lepers were in these days. They, they were, you weren't born with leprosy. Leprosy was something you caught later in life. And once you caught leprosy, you would have to go to the temple and present yourself to the priest and say, say, I think I got this skin tag. I don't know what this is, but 
And the priest will render a verdict to say, yes, that, that is leprosy. And what that is, it, it eats you from the inside out, very painful. It will eat your nerves. It's, there's a documentation. There's still leper colonies today in the world, but, but you lose feeling in some of your opinions. So you go to like open a door and like you can lose a finger literally in the moment. Like it's, it's a nasty disease. But once the priest renders you unclean, once he says, hey, you got leprosy, in Leviticus 13, it gives a prescription of what you do if you have leprosy. And part of it was you have to hunch your, hold your head low, hunch your shoulders over, and cover yourself. Then it literally says you put your, your hand over your, your mouth, and you have to go around. When you're around people, you have to pronounce unclean, unclean, unclean. It's like, don't come near me. I'm messed up. Don't come near me. I'm infected. Don't come near me or you too might get sick. I'm unclean. And these 10 men would have gone through life, leaving their families, leaving their careers, some of them leaving their business. Unclean, unclean, unclean. And they see Jesus coming. And they're like, Jesus, have mercy on us. Would you just have mercy? I don't know if you've ever been to this spot in your life where you're like, oh God, would you just have some mercy on me? Would you just help me? I just need a little grace. God, would you have, Jesus, would you have mercy? He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the guy that rendered you unclean. Go show yourself to the guy that gave you the, the verdict. Check this out. And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Think about this. Hunched over. Jesus said, go show myself to the dude that told me I was unclean. 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 And like spots are beginning to disappear. Maybe appendages are growing back. And as they go, as they take next steps of what God has asked them to do, they begin to receive a miracle in the moment. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to God and I'm like, God, I need mercy, and here's what I want that to look like. I need a miracle, and here's what I want that to be. But Jesus, maybe he's saying something to you today that seems counterintuitive. Maybe some of you today, and as I was preparing for this and praying for you guys in this moment, I just sense that maybe God, maybe you came today looking for a miracle. And I think what this passage is teaching us is that maybe God has a miracle waiting for you. And maybe what God is waiting for is for you to take next steps of obedience to what he's already asked you to do. And as you go, you'll experience the healing miracle that you've been waiting for. And it might not look like you anticipated. It might show up in a different form than what you thought. But as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. Instead of looking for a miracle, maybe the miracle is looking for you. Here's something I throw out from time to time. I like to call it a hassle-free guarantee. And here's my commitment to you. If you give Central Christian Church one year of your life, I just believe it's going to change your life. You show up consistently on Sunday. You show every week we talk about next steps. You just start taking next steps of what God's asking you to do. Maybe your next step is to get baptized. Maybe you made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. You haven't been baptized. That's your best next step. Maybe your next step is to jump into Thrive. Maybe your best next step is to join a serve team, join a group. Maybe your best next step is to go to that individual and say, I'm sorry. I said this and I didn't mean it. You don't even know I said it, but I'm apologizing for that because I shouldn't have done that. 
Whatever God's asking you to do, take next steps. And I, I tell you, this one-year commitment to Central will change your life, not because of anything we are, but because of all that he is. When you take next steps of what he's asking you to do, I'm just telling you it'll change your life. I guarantee it. Hassle-free guarantee. Some of us are waiting on a miracle. I'm convinced a miracle is waiting on you. Count your blessings, and your blessings will begin to count. Nothing prepares our heart to live from a posture of contentment than, than gratitude. Back to Luke 17, beginning in verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. The author highlights this. This is Dr. Luke writing this narrative. He's the only gospel account to record this. But a Samaritan, Samaritans were considered half-breeds, like less than in this society. But the Samaritan returned to give thanks. Jesus said, he asked, didn't I heal 10 of them, 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise and glory to God except for this foreigner? Jesus said to the man, stand up, go. Your faith has healed you. You can kind of sense the disappointment and frustration in Jesus' voice. But I want it to be true of me that I circled back to say, Jesus, thanks. Thank you for what you've done for me. I want to be one that, that comes back to say, God, thank you for rescuing me. I want to be one of them that says, says, God, thanks for giving me a hope and a future. Thank you, Jesus, that when I was running from you, you were pursuing me. Thank you, God, for giving me a purpose beyond the superficial things of this life and inviting me into this supernatural kind of relationship with you. Thanks for freedom. Thanks for friends. Thanks for family. Jesus, we want to come to you and say thanks for all you've given, all you've done. We want to be like the other nine. And I'm not knocking them. Like, holy cow, they were isolated from friends and family. They were part of this leper colony. They're probably just excited. I'm not, not knocking them. But Jesus highlights one, comes back to say thanks. Count your blessings and your blessings will begin to count. How do we say thanks? How do we say thanks to God for all he's done for you? How do we say thanks for all he's done for us? Well, one, I think you just tell him with your words, Jesus, thank you. Here's what you've done. I look inside my box and I see a ton of blessings. Thank you. Make a list of those blessings. Just tell them. Second thing you can do, give thanks by, by giving of your finances. I've, I've invested my finances in a whole lot of things to bring destruction on earth. <laughs> I'm honored every time I get that email saying, Tim, your, your tithes and your offerings have hit. Here's, it, here's, here's what it looks like. And I say, thank you, Jesus, in that moment for allowing me to invest in things for eternity. We say thanks for, by serving. Jesus, you, you, you came to serve, not to be served, but give your life as a ransom for many. So in turn, I serve. We say thank you, Jesus. I think say thanks in that moment. We say thanks by sharing hope with others. God has rescued you so that you could rescue others. And when you have those conversations, when you share hope, when you invest in your one friend, you're saying, thanks, God, you've rescued me. God, you've been so good to me. I don't want to keep radical grace contained to myself share it with others so in closing through Christ's strength here's what we're going to do we're going to eliminate comparison we're going to eliminate envy we're going to eliminate envy when we realize that God's word says envy is earthly unspiritual and demonic therefore we will not allow it to have a place in our heart we're going to eliminate comparison we're going to kill comparison we know that compare when we start to compare 
we start to despair, and we don't want to do that. We recognize that comparison brings pride or pressure. Neither one of those things are from God. We don't want that a part of our life. We focus on Christ. He's our standard. It's only his opinion that matters. My social media feed might fail me, but Jesus, you never will, right? Therefore, we anchor our identity, our hope, and our everything in him. We will generate gratitude. We'll make sure it's true of us that we circle back to say thanks. Gratitude is the key that unlocks contentment. So we will count our blessings because when we do, our blessings begin to count. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for how faithful you've been. We thank you, God, for your word that changes us. We thank you, God, that contentment isn't some illusion that eludes us. But God, we can live our life anchored in you from a contented heart and a contented posture of life. Would you help me to do that? Would you help my friends here, Father, to live from a posture of contentment? With your head bowed, eyes closed, while we're here in the presence of God, I just want you to process that question. What next step might Jesus be asking you to take? For some of you, it might be baptism, going public with your faith. For some of you, it might be trusting with your finances. For some of them, having a conversation, just saying, I'm sorry. Maybe something else. What next step is God asking you to take? And maybe you're here and you never made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. If that's you, then your best next step is to start there along with the lepers and just cry out, Master, have mercy. Have mercy on us. And I want to invite you to take a courageous step of faith. And I believe that that God will do an amazing work of restoration, of healing in your life as you cry out for mercy. If that's you today, and if you're ready to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, just go all in with him and experience his healing power. Then I want to invite you to say a simple prayer along with me from your heart to God. Say this, God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I believe he rose again. God, would you forgive me of my sins? Give me the gift of eternal life. Now you say this to him, Jesus, from this day forward, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Now, if that was your commitment, with every head bowed, every eye closed, that's your commitment. Just reach out to God. I would love to pray with you. Put your hand in the air. I would love to pray with you over this this moment as you begin that that journey. Thanks. Thanks. Well, God, you see those hands reaching out to you. God, would you reach out to them? Would you fill them with your spirit so they can live a life that they never thought possible? God, would you give them courageous faith to take next steps so they can experience your life-changing power? very real, very practical, very tangible way this week. Would you overwhelm them with your presence even now? Wash over them, let them sense your cleansing power and freedom that only comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.